Let us turn now to the Old Testament passage we read in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 55, and the first verse. Isaiah, chapter 55. Though everyone at first did come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat ye, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour on that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. <coughs> There is a very real connection between the three chapters we have here towards the end of this prophecy, chapter 53, 54, and 55 of uh, Isaiah. As you know, chapter 53 presents to us in very clear, prophetic vein the sufferings and the um, exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of Jehovah who was to come. Chapter 54 gives us a very beautiful picture of the peace and the blessedness of the church that Jesus Christ died to save. A picture of the people of God, the believers, who live by faith in the Lord. And chapter 55 may be present to us as the invitation is addressed to all and sundry, all who are out with the church, all who are cut off from the life and the favour of God, to avail themselves of the blessings that God has provided for them in Christ Jesus. It is, in effect, this verse before us, the first two verses of the chapter, a call that comes from God himself from heaven above to a all who are in this world to pause for a moment and to take stock of the situation and to respond in faith to the call that comes from him inviting them uh, to uh, receive the blessings of salvation through faith in Christ and in the uh, presenting this uh, uh, call in, in addressing you from these verses, one can but feebly reiterate what God himself is saying to us all. In considering the words, if you would like to look at two or three things, first of all, the description that we have here in the symbolic language, the description that we have of the gospel itself. There are various ways by which it is described. It is uh, spoken of as water, spoken of as wine and milk. It is spoken as that, of as that which is good and uh, as that which delights the heart. And then we have a description, secondly, of those who are invited. Everyone that thirsts 
everyone who has no money and uh, everyone who spends money for that which is not bread and who labors for that which is which does not satisfy and then finally we have the invitation itself addressed very simply come to the waters come buy and eat buy wine and milk without money and without price and delight yourself in fatness and so on these three things are a description of the gospel a description of those invited and uh, the invitation that is addressed to them first of all then a description here of the gospel now you know that very often the bible speaks to us in symbolical terms of the about the blessings of the gospel of Christ or the blessing of God's provision for a lost world in Christ Jesus and here we have one such example with which the bible abounds it speaks the gospel here is brought before us in terms of water wine milk that which is good and that which is fat first of all then, the description we have here of it with reference to the water now you and i know tonight how essential water is to ourselves and to the world in which we live water is absolutely indispensable for every single one of us we couldn't live without water it is necessary for life it sustains animal life and plant life some of you know doubt in the past few weeks have you been busy maybe watering your gardens because the plants that you have there have by a very appearance shown to you how dependent they are on water but what god means when he presents to us the gospel in a symbol like this it presents his own self as the source of blessing in terms of water or waters what god is saying to us is this that you and i need god that we need the blessings that he has to bestow upon us put it another way he tells us that we cannot live without him no cost there are many people who would deny that but if you listen for example to the lacks of the lord jesus when he was in the world you find that he said exactly the same thing you remember at the great feast and you have recorded the account of which you have recorded in john chapter 7 at the end of that great feast jesus stood up on the last day and said if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink now there again jesus was making the same point that the people of his generation needed himself god through isaiah was saying to israel in his day in isaiah's day you need god jesus was saying to the people of his day you need me jesus was god and the bible every time you open it and thumb your way through its pages says to each one of us 
you need God. And this is the one which the Gospels put before us in the first place here then as something which is indispensable. Something that you and I need. And the other thing about this is notice the word is in the plural. Water. This speaks to us of the the abundance of the blessing with which God blesses people. The the plurality of blessings that God has at his disposal for us all. The Bible puts it like this, that there is no situation that confronts us in this life with which God is not able to deal. No matter how you may read your needs tonight, no matter how you may see your condition, there is such fullness with God such abundance of blessing that God is able to draw near to you and able to help you. And it speaks to us of something else. Such is the nature of this blessing that here is a well that never ends dry. Some wells do. Some sources of water dry up. Some sources of nourishment dry up. But this one never does. God has been blessing people since the day that he blessed the first person in this world. I don't know how old the world is. But uh, there have been many people in the history of this world who have claimed that God has blessed them, and God did bless them. There are many people in this church tonight who have been blessed by God. Many have partaken of the abundance that he has to bestow upon people. And though their lives have been enriched by what he has given, God himself has not been impoverished in any way. God is the same tonight as he was yesterday, and there is an abundance of blessing and of life with God. And there's a third thing that the water speaks to us of, and very often this is the first of it in the Bible. It speaks to us of the freeness of the blessing of God. A writer last century, speaking about a, a text such as this, spoke about something that had begun in their day, and we know about it certainly in our day. Water rates. Every time you get a rates notice from the council, there is a reference on that notice about the water rate. There is a charge made even for the water that you drink. No matter how free it is, it is very, very cheap in this land, but still you have to pay so much for it if you get it supplied to your home, as most homes do now. And there are certain areas in the land, some of you may go on holiday to places like that, where a glass of water is pretty expensive. But we don't know about that in this part of the world. It's so free. There is hardly anything more free to you tonight than a glass of water. You wouldn't have too much difficulty in acquiring one. And this is something else that the Bible speaks to us of when it speaks of the blessing of God. It is a blessing that is freely bestowed upon all who come to receive it. The word that the New Testament uses for this is one of the great New Testament words. It's the word grace. It means that God freely bestows Without, as you see later on, without any payment of any price from you, 
He freely places at your disposal all the blessings that are stored up in himself and that he is able to communicate to you. So there you are now. Here's something that you need. Here's something that is sufficient to meet all your needs. And here is something that is offered to you freely by God. He invites you tonight to the gospel in that way. The waters of life. And then he speaks of it here as well as wine. By wine and milk without money and without price. Wine. Now in the Bible, as we sang in Psalm 4 here tonight, wine doesn't have the same, uh, doesn't suggest that in that day it wouldn't have had the same connotation as it has in our day and in, our, and in this part of the world particularly. As you know, in the East, wine was used as freely with their meals as we use water. And uh, it was, it was, it was that which uh, is associated with gladness of heart. This is the, this is the suggestion that it conveys to us as you read about it in the Bible. It gladdens the heart. So that the psalmist, thinking about what God meant to him, said, Thou hast given me more gladness in my heart than wine ever gave me. And this is what the gospel does. There are many people who don't believe this. A lot of people find this terribly difficult to understand. How God, or Christ, in and through the gospel, can gladden any heart. Well, you ask the Christians here tonight, and this is what they'll tell you. That no experience that they've ever had in life can be compared with the experience that they had when the Lord blessed them. When the Lord made himself known to them. It's the most blessed moment they've ever had. And the most blessed moments in this world are those moments when they get in close contact and touch and fellowship with the Lord in the gospel. This is not surprising because after all, God said of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was in this world, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As though he was saying, there is nothing that gladdens my heart more than my own son. And this is what the Christian would say of the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. He brings gladness, contentment, satisfaction into his life. The Lord gladdens the church. So it is with the blessings of the gospel. And there's a third symbol here, the symbol of milk. Now this wine was associated with gladness or satisfaction. Milk was assuredly associated with nourishment. You know that this was one of the descriptions was given of the promised land, the land of Canaan. It was a land flowing with wine and honey, and wine and milk. There was so much in the land to gladden their heart, and there was so much in the land to nourish their lives. Now I grant you that there are things in the world tonight, wine in itself, which will, in many instances, gladden or warm a person's heart but it certainly won't nourish his life. There are many people tonight dying in hospital because they over the years 
have taken so much wine. They became so attached to it, couldn't break off from it. Instead of nourishing the lives, it instead of nourishing the life, it destroyed the life. But you see, the gospel isn't like that. The gospel gladdens the heart. The blessings of the gospel enrich a person's life, and they also nourish a person's heart. Not only do they gladden, but they satisfy and they nourish. That is why some people, and isn't it strange, you know, when a person is newly converted, so strange how often this happens. They look forward to meeting other people around the gospel. They look forward to getting together. They look forward to getting out to church. The Lord's Day can't come quick enough. The prayer meeting can't come soon enough. They're desperate to get it. Why? Because they're hungry and thirsty after that which nourishes their heart. The gospel in its presentation meets their needs, fills their mind, fills their soul. There's nourishment in it for them. Wine and milk. And then he goes on to speak of this that which is good. Eat ye that which is good. Now, of course, this goes without saying. Anything which gladdens your heart and anything which nourishes your life is good anyway. It is good in itself. Remember, this is what Jesus said about Mary. Remember what he said to Martha when she found fault with Mary for sitting at Jesus' feet, and getting up and getting busy in the kitchen and helping her to serve the meal? Remember what he said to Martha? Martha, Martha, he said, you're encumbered, you're, you're taken up with the things of this life, but Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. Now, we know what that good thing was, sitting at the feet of Jesus, fellowship with the Lord. There is nothing better in the world than this. It is the best thing you could have to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your own life. Good because it is fitted to meet the needs. Good because of the source from which this comes. It comes from God. And nothing comes from God but what is good. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. With whom is no variable, is no shadow caused by turning. It's good because of its source. It's good because of its uh, of, of its nature. God communicates himself. There is no greater good in the world than God himself. You may have good things tonight. I don't doubt that. But you see, my friend, the greatest good of all is the being who gave you being. And the one from whom every good gift that you have tonight comes. And don't, surely, you're not taken up so much with his gifts that you're losing sight of himself. Because God is better than all his gifts. It is good. Because God communicates himself. And you couldn't have anything better tonight in your life than God himself in the blessing of salvation. Eat that which is good. And finally, let your soul delight itself in fatness. This is the word that speaks to us of the, the riches of this feast of good things. It is a feast of fat things. This, these blessings of the gospel are so rich, so numerous, 
at the end reach the light. Think of, one, think of one aspect of the blessing of God, just one aspect to show to you how rich it is. The aspect of his love, the love of God which passes all understanding in its height, in its breadth, in its length and depth. The love of God is so vast, it can't be measured. It is so rich that you couldn't even hope to describe it. And do you know this? It is so rich in its nature, the love of God, that the church throughout the ages of eternity will speak about it and will never exhaust the riches of this love. Never. Never fathom its depth. Never explain fully its magnitude, its very vastness. That is how rich it is. That your soul delight itself in fatness. Now then, that's the way in which the gospel, the blessings of the gospel, are described for us in this chapter. Now we pass on secondly to consider those who are invited to come to this feast. And also the said of them, everyone that he that hath no money, he that spends his money for that which is not bread, and he that labours for that which satisfieth not. Now this is a wonderful description of this lost world. And you know, there isn't a person in church tonight left out of this invitation, not a soul. We are all invited because we all fall into these categories one way or another now then let us look at them first of all who everyone that thirsteth now what do you make of this some of you will know that Dr. Billy Graham is uh, holding a crusade in certain areas in England at the moment. And on one of his visits to Britain quite a long time ago, Billy Graham was asked what he thought of the religious situation in the United Kingdom. Well, I don't know if he was asked that question this time or what his answer was, but I do remember the answer that he gave at this, on this occasion when he was asked what he thought of the state of affairs in Britain. And he thought that the state of affairs was quite good because it, I find, especially says in London, that people are looking for God. Now, I would like to think that Dr. Graham was correct, but I find it very difficult to accept the correctness of his statement. People are looking for something, yes, but I don't think that the majority of people know what they're looking for. They're thirsting for something. I wonder if you and I could discuss this just for a little here just now profitably as I speak to you 
in the quietness of this hour here tonight, just for a minute or two. Thirsting. But for who are they one that thirsteth? Well, I know that there are people, for example, here tonight who are thirsting for God. I know that. There are people who want the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people, yes, there are people here tonight who, who have the Lord in their lives and in their hearts, but they want more of him. They're not satisfied with what they have. So they say with the psalmist, My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come near into his, into, when shall I approach near to his countenance? I thirst for God, said the psalmist. There are people like that. And I know that there are people in church night who are looking for God and they can't say that they found him. There are people who are wanting to be saved and they can't say that they are saved. They're looking for a saviour but they haven't got the saviour. They would love to say with the church in the Old Testament, my beloved is mine. They would love to say it but they're afraid to say it. But they want to say it and they're thirsting for the saviour. That's the kind of person I was speaking about earlier. The kind of person who wants to get into Christian fellowship and the kind of person who wants to come to the prayer meeting. The kind of person who looks forward to the Sabbath services because they know that other people have found the Lord in these means and they want the same experience as these people had. They're looking for the Lord, but they can't say that they have found him yet. They're thirsting for what they don't have. One person is thirsty for more of what he has. Another person is thirsty for what he doesn't yet have. But that doesn't exhaust this definition. Oh, everyone that thirsteth. There are some people in this church tonight who don't want more of God that don't have him. There are some people in this church tonight who don't want God at all. They haven't been stirred up to a sense of their need. They don't. They want something, but it's not God. Why are they here? Well, it's not that they might be converted. I doubt very much if that kind of person went down on his knees or her knees before they left the house tonight and said, God, I'm going to church tonight again. If I haven't been converted, convert me tonight. I doubt very much if you said that. Lord, I don't know the Saviour. But I doubt if you said before he came out, Lord, I would like to find him tonight in this church in Kenneth Street. But yet you're thirsty for something. You don't know what it is. You're looking for satisfaction in life. You try various means and various avenues. You try different company, you go to different places. You try this and you try that. And tonight, maybe a little bit of satisfaction yesterday, last night, Friday. But tonight, back to square one, perhaps even worse. More dissatisfied than you've ever been. And you don't know what it is that is going to meet your needs. And yet you could never say, that you're thirsting for God. Now I wouldn't say of it, of you either that you're thirsting for God because I don't believe you are. And yet, you're thirsty. What does it mean then? What does this mean? Everyone that's thirsty. Do you know what it means? It speaks of a person who's in a state of need without knowing what his needs are. In a state of want without knowing what he's wanting. Destitute without knowing that is destitute. And that's what I meant when I said that this invitation addressed to everybody in this church tonight. Everyone isn't a Christian. Everyone isn't thirsty for Christ. Everyone isn't wanting God. But if you're not like that, you are in a state of need. 
Just gives it for example of righteousness, of holiness. Just gives it of knowledge of God, of wisdom. You see, this is what sin has done to our lost world. When Adam, before he sinned, he was perfectly holy and righteous and good and wise. And he served God, and he loved God, and he obeyed God. Then he sinned, and he lost all that that he had. He stopped being holy. He stopped being wise. He stopped being good. He stopped loving God. He stopped seeking God. He ran away from it. He stopped delighting in God. He stopped obeying God. And that's the passion in a state of need. In a state of thirst. In a state of destitution. And in that condition, trying to meet his needs and failing miserably to meet his needs. And God knows it. And God sees them and he says, Look, you who are thirsting, I've got the answer to your problem. I can meet your needs. Come unto me and drink. That's it. So you see the invitation impresses. Everyone is here tonight. Whether you have God or not. If you have him, you need more of him. If you don't have him and you're looking for him, you certainly need him and you'll find him. And you'll be tonight not wanting God and not caring less. Indifferent to your spiritual condition, my friend, remember this, you're in a state of need. God knows it. And God speaks to you and says to you, Come unto me. And then something else that he says of you. You have no money. You see, this is the evidence of being in a state of need. The evidence of it. As I said earlier, there are lots of people in a state of need, but they don't realize that they are in this state of need. But this is the proof of a person who's destitute. You know a person who's destitute in that street tonight? There might not be many of them in this welfare society of ours, but I'm sure that there are some. Tonight they have nothing. And, you see, and, and, and they would say to you, look, I'm destitute, I'm nothing. How do you know that you know, well, There's the evidence. I don't have a penny in my pocket. I've got no money. And this is the proof of the state of need. You know, it's amazing. I think I said this before in this book. It's amazing how difficult people find it to accept this spiritually. That they are absolutely nothing in the presence of God with which to earn or to buy salvation. Nothing. Some of you may think, as some of us thought, that we could pray our way to heaven. Perhaps if we prayed long enough. God would answer us on the and what was that hope based on just, just based on, on our belief that our prayers would save us. There are no doubt people who come to church and who believe that they will continue like that and they die like that. Well, God is bound to cast aside long glance at what they were doing. After all, they came to church, so and so didn't. God will save you on the basis of my church going. I've got a Bible, I read it. There are many people who want to know to have a Bible, don't bother opening it. But at least I'll open baby every night before I sleep. Surely God is bound to notice this. But you see, my friend, what I'm trying to say to you, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Nothing wrong with coming to church, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with praying. But the point is that these are riches that you possess that will enable you to buy salvation. You've got nothing. 
with which to buy salvation? Nothing. Do you want proof of it? Well, it is characteristic and necessary. I don't know how old you may be. And I don't know how many sermons you've heard in your life. No idea. But I know this. That no matter how much you've heard, how much you've seen, or perhaps even read, your ability to believe tonight isn't any more than it was 20 years ago. It isn't there at all. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. Living proof. There you are, living proof, sitting in that pew tonight. You're not saved. Oh, I know why you're not saved. The only person who could save you is God. You never ask God to save you. Perhaps you're living trying to save yourself. And that's evidence of your destitution. You've got no ability to save yourself. No money. All you have is sin. If you're to open your pockets and turn them out, open your handbags and anything, the only thing you have in the presence of your God tonight is the sin that fills your life. And that won't save you. You've got nothing, in other words. And that's what God here is saying. Oh, everyone that thirsteth. Oh, everyone that has no money. And yet here's a contradiction. Seeming contradiction. Everyone that spends money for that which is not bad. Now, how can this be? If, on the other hand, God says that you have no money, and then goes on to speak to you as someone who is spending money on that which is not bread. How can that be? Well, but I'll explain it to you. You have nothing with which to buy salvation. And yet, the strange thing and the disheartening thing and the alarming thing is that God has given you some things, but you're spending them in the wrong way. You see, God has given you some gifts and some possessions that you're not using in the right way. What God has given you is this. But they mention some of the things that he's given you. These are very simple things, you know. It doesn't take a great mind to speak about a verse like this. Time. He's given you time. He's given you opportunities. He's given you privileges. He's given you health. He's given you a home. He's given you a family. He's given you friends. He's given you all these comforts in life. He's given you a mind. He's given you an understanding. He's given you a knowledge, some knowledge. He's given you the Bible. He's given you the means of grace. He has sent the gospel to you over the years. These are things with which God has enriched your life and you could call them money. But what have you done with them? Well, you've taken this money and you're spending it on something which isn't bread. You see, God is the bread of life. And all that God has given you, God asks you to give to himself. To spend as it were on him. Son, daughter, give me your life. Give me everything you have. Or you know the way the shorter catechism put it, the wee children here tonight know it. What a... Uh, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him. This is what we're supposed to do with all the things that God has given to us. Use them to get to know Him. Lord, here's my time. I want to use it on Thee. Here's my money. Take what belongs to Thee. Here's my life. 
consecrated to thyself. My home, my family, all these opportunities, the Bible, I'm reading it to get to know thee. The church, I'm coming there to get to know thee. You see, but what do people do with these things? Well, they spend them on themselves. They spend them without any reference to God at all. They don't bother with him. They don't get to know him. They don't come to love him through these things. And they never get bent to me and said, Lord, I bless thee for these things that thou hast given to me. I bless thee for them. Have you ever done that with them? Oh, no. You've held them to yourself, kept them close to your chest, haven't you? Well, my friend, I challenge you tonight to ask what you've done with that that God has given you. Is it too much to, for you to respond to the challenge? This is the way you live in your life. You're spending your money, spending all these things on things other than God. And your life isn't being enriched one bit. And then finally there's this, and your labor on that which doesn't satisfy. You're working away. You know, this is a... This, this, this is a, a terribly pathetic picture of a person. You think of a person working from eight to five. And there he is five days a week and he comes home laboring away there eight to five. And no matter what he's doing, he isn't being satisfied. He's getting no enjoyment. You know, what would you call it today? Job satisfaction, is it? Well, here's a picture for you. Here's a person who's working away, day after day, year after year after year. What drudgery. What a way to spend your life. There's nothing in it for you. Well, you know, this is the image that God uses to present to us the picture of an unconverted person. Spending his labor, working away, doing this, doing that, trying this, trying that. And with the passing years, satisfaction getting further and further and further away. You know, there are people in this church tonight. My heart goes out to them. 60, 70, 80 years of age. Unconverted. Hard as brick. Nothing penetrates. And after all they've tried, in life, a vast distance night between them and God. No satisfaction. You and you, my friend, you, my young friend here tonight, don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. If you see there is nothing more pathetic, and you know this, there is no more difficult to deal with when it comes to presenting the gospel than a hardened sinner. After years and years and years of a life without faith in Christ, it's pathetic. Well, this is the picture of them. And yet, such is the nature of God's grace and God's goodness that he calls all such, and in a word, just in conclusion, the invitation is addressed to all such. Oh, everyone in that condition, come ye to the waters. By and eat and delight yourself in fatness. Oh, you know what I mean? The word ho oh, here is just it's stop. It's a picture of 
If you know what an open air market is, if you're an open air market down there in Commerce, it's a Saturday afternoon in the town teeming with people. And someone stood up at a table, a barrel, and stead, shouted to all the people passing, Stop! I'm sure they would. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if everyone stopped just to hear what this fellow was saying. Well, that's what God is saying here. He's saying to you in the gospel for a minute here in this church night, Will you wait a minute? Just give, give your attention to this just for a few minutes. Maybe since you came in, your mind's been wandering all over the place. Perhaps you've gone around the world a few times. Well, just for a wee minute, wait. Think about what God is saying to you. Stop. What's he saying to you? Well, you know this. He begins by using the most simple word you've ever heard in your life. Come. Now, every minister preaching the gospel, in a sense, finds it difficult to preach it. Do you know why? Because the gospel itself is so simple that no matter how often he tries to preach it, he'll never make it as simple as it actually is. I know that the nature of the transaction, there's nothing simple about that. But the way in which it is presented to men and women, it's so simple. So simple. John Flavel, one of the great Puritan preachers, maintained that the devil was never more busy than he was at the elbow of the minister in the study as he was repairing his sermons and perhaps working away getting him to become so intricate and so complicated in the presentation that he hides the very simplicity of the gospel itself it's a great danger and you know I could stand here tonight to midnight and speak about the imitation of the gospel and I'll never make it as simple as this word makes it come do you know that it is used over 600 times in the Bible? God saying to people, come. And it means two things. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Two things. You know, if you were standing at that door up there just now, and I said to you, come, come here. There were two things that you were doing. You were leaving the spot, that, that is assume that you would respond. You were leaving the spot that you were standing at, and you were coming to a place that you hadn't been in before. And that's exactly what the gospel means when God asks you to respond. He asks you to do two things, and you'll never be a believer without doing this. You've got to leave a life of sin, or a life of service to sin, and you've got to come to God and give your life to him. Now, I can't make it any simpler than that, and why spend more time on it? Leave your sin, the word in your testament used for this word repentance. I know it's difficult, but repentance is never easy. Never is, never was, and never will be. It means tearing yourself away from the life that you have hitherto lived and coming in a life of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. And you say to me, no. Here's one of the contradictions in the Bible. Well, it's not. It's quite simple. You buy money, you buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. You say, how's that possible? Can you buy without money? Well, in a sense, you can. When it comes to the gospel. You see, it's all of grace. And therefore, you can't do anything. That's going to merit these blessings in your life. If God is going to bless you tonight, he will bless you 
purely and simply because of his grace. That's the first thing. But there's something else here. There's a transaction to be entered into when you buy something. There's a transaction involved. You're getting what wasn't used before. And someone is parting with what was his before. You go to a shop downtown and you buy something. And you take it with you in your bag. That wasn't used before, it's used now. And before it became used, it belonged to the shop. But now it's used by right. You bought it. It's not theirs. It's yours. You paid for it. And this is what happens in salvation. You can't earn it on the one hand. You can't buy it. And yet on the other, it becomes yours. God makes it over to you. He gives it to you. But at the same time, God isn't impoverished. This is the wonder about God's grace. He's giving grace to so many people tonight, but his grace remains the same. He doesn't lose anything in giving you, but you gain. And this is the wonder of salvation, the way in which it enriches a person's life. You accept this. God makes it over to you, and it becomes yours. And the believer then goes along the road and he says, as the psalmist said, this God is now my God, and he will guide me even unto death. Is he yours now? Then the other thing it is said here is this. Eat that which is good. This is, again, the way in which the Bible speaks of the, 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 um, the work of faith, or the attitude of faith, rather. You know what the, some of the evangelists put like this? There are three things in the Bible that, of three ways in which the Bible speaks of faith. The eye that looks, the hand that receives, and the mouth that eats. Open thy mouth wide to me, God said to the Old Testament church, and I will fill it. This is faith. God comes to you in the presence of the gospel and you receive them just as you receive your food. You eat them. The trouble so many of you is this. God is coming near you in the gospel. He's standing beside you. But you're not taking it. Ah, oh, my friend, won't you take what he offers? And then finally, let your soul delight itself in fatness. What a feast you'd have tonight. How much God offers you. You need this. Well, you come, you take your fill, don't be afraid, don't hold back. I know that there are people saying to you, and there are some voices saying to you, even now as I speak to you, well, what does so-and-so think? Never you mind about what so-and-so will think. Look at the feast you're going to have. Look at what's going to make me into your life. What are your workmates going to say to you tomorrow morning? What are they going to say if I go to school? And uh, Christ has become my saviour and my friend. What then? Well, never you mind, you leave these things in his hand. He'll look after you as he's looked after everyone who ever came before you. You just feast yourself on what he offers you tonight. Blessings of salvation, forgiveness in all its fullness. The blessing of his love and his favor and his presence. You need that, don't you? And you want that. Well, here it is. You take it. God offers it. And you just have your fill. Because all things Alrighty, and I will say this to you. The only thing that stands between you tonight and receiving this rich provision is your own unwillingness to come. Ah, my friend, you come and you avail yourself of these blessings. There was a preacher in England in the last century 
who preached on this text one night in the open air in the city of Manchester, Alexander McLaren. And he told, he put it like this, I'm sure he said that if in the local paper tomorrow morning there was an advert saying that if people came to a certain place in Manchester at a certain hour tomorrow night, they would get a, a treasure, each one of them, for themselves. I'm sure he said that there was an advert like that, that there would be a queue at that place tomorrow night. And yet he said, this way he applied it, here in the gospel God offers the greatest treasure this world has ever known. The riches of his grace he offers himself. And there's no queue waiting for this blessing. And part of the difficulty lies just there and coming for it. You're alone. You don't have to push your way through a crowd to receive this blessing. It comes tonight solely to yourself. Solely to you. As an individual. And let God speak to you, my friend, as an individual. Never mind your family, your friends, your classmates, your workmates. Just put them out of your mind for this one minute while he says to you, Stop. And consider for a moment. Would this enrich your life? Of course it would. Well then, what stops you from taking it? Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we pray for grace that we might come to love thee and come to serve thee, come to honour thee, and come to receive thee. Open our hearts that that blessing may become ours and that we with thy people may rejoice in thy salvation. Part us tonight with thy blessing. Forgive our sins in connection with holy things and undertake for us this evening for thy name's sake. Amen. <coughs>